very often you find find a lot of indie artists and younger artists from the Arab world are their own uh, copywriters, uh, directors, uh, marketers, things like that. Hi everyone, welcome to a special edition of How Music Charts, where we pull back the curtain on today's music business, exploring music industry trends, music data, and the creativity that helps your favorite artists hit the charts. Today, instead of the dulcet tones of Jason Arutka, it's me, Chaz Jenkins, the Chief Commercial Officer at Chartmetric. We're going to be discussing data and trends relating to the marketplace in Arab countries to coincide with the XP Music Conference taking place in Saudi Arabia on the 13th to the 15th of December. Joining me to provide in-depth knowledge of music, musicians and audiences throughout the Arab world is Firas Abu Fakr. Firas is an award-winning composer, director and writer from Lebanon, as well as keyboard player with Mashru Leila. He, has, he has collaborated with artists including Brian Eno, Royston Murphy and Oliver Beer. He co-founded the Last Floor, Produ Last Floor Productions in 2020 and has taught at NYU, Concordia, Sciences Po in Paris and other universities. Hi Ferris, thanks for joining us. Where are you today? Hey. What are you up to? Thank you. Um, it's great to be here. I'm in Philadelphia actually. I've been here for a month or so. I'm uh, working on a project here in studio composing the music for a series from Saudi Arabia actually as well. So yeah, part of the theme as well. How, how is it being in the US at the moment um, compared to in the Middle East? How are you finding it? I mean, you know, I went from being a touring musician to suddenly uh, being in Beirut at my house for over a year and a half. So it was really a big shift for, for the past year and a half. I didn't travel at all. And then uh, when I got this project, given the circumstances in Lebanon and kind of the, the horrific uh, spiral that's happening there economically and politically and just socially on, on so many levels, um, I thought it would be good to come here, uh, set up kind of like a, a small studio space and work and compose from here. So it's actually been really nice. It's a, it's a wonderful change. <laughs> And presumably the impact of the pandemic, which has had obviously a profound effect on musicians in the US and throughout Europe, it's, it's, it's just the same. It's impacted significantly on musicians across the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that pushed me uh, to focus a little bit more on my film scoring and my own personal work from writing and directing and uh, setting up last floor. So the whole idea of last for productions which is a production house that's focused on uh creative work from the arab world and about the arab world it can kind of came about because of the pandemic because we were suddenly stuck at home and you know one of the things that always bothers me is that so many of my references and so many of the things that i look you know up to or the people that i look up to are rarely from the arab world or about the arab world so that was that's always something that that comes to mind when I'm making music or when I'm uh, writing or whatever it is. I mean, you do a vast range of vast range of different things. Um, do you think that's common amongst musicians from the Middle East? You know, that they are doing lots of different things rather than, you know, a lot of musicians in the West who principally just focus on, you know, recording, making music and touring. Actually, I really do. I think, 
you know, I, I in in uh, college I studied architecture, and I think that's where a lot of my sensibilities come from. Uh, and I think it's very similar with a lot of musicians because, in a sense, you have to do everything by yourself. Just the infrastructure just doesn't exist in the, that part of the world. So from designing to um, kind of creating an image or a brand or positioning yourself in one way or another, um, figuring out how to be tech savvy, engineering, recording on your own, um, marketing yourself, putting yourself up on streaming website. And like that for a long time, that has been on the shoulders of the artists themselves, you know, mm. with it comes the idea of, you know, we have to make a music video. And so I'll have to direct something. I'll have to come up with a, with a, with some kind of visual language for that. And very often you find, find a lot of indie artists and younger artists from the Arab world are their own, uh, copywriters, uh, directors, uh, marketers, things like that. Would you, would you say that sort of having studied architecture, it's taught you about structure, how a building is just not one thing. It's lots of different things all in one space. And have you carried that across to your career, do you think? Completely. I think one of the, one of the main things architecture taught me is that you don't have to be a, a master of everything. You have to be a jack of all trades. So as an architect, you have to know enough about structure, enough about you know, uh, plumbing, enough about um, uh, stonework, enough about metalwork, enough about those things so that you can convey your ideas and you can uh, build a holistic thing, but you don't have to be a master of any of them. And so it's really interesting to dip in and out. And that's an approach I take with music. I learn enough of an instrument like a cello for me to be able to communicate with a cellist, but I'll never be a, a you know, I'll never be a performing cellist in my life or a clarinet player or whatever, but I know enough of those things to get me by and collaborate a bit more fruitfully and a bit more in depth with people. It's probably fair to say that the music marketplace in the Arab world has never been viewed as particularly important in the past by the rest of the global music industry. You know, Lebanon was a hotbed of innovative music making for several decades. Egypt has long had a vibrant music scene and has launched several artists in the past onto the international stage. And there's always been a healthy flow of talent between North Africa and the French music industry. But in general, music from the Arab world and especially Saudi Arabia and the Arabian Peninsula has evolved very much on a local level. And artists from the region have rarely been able to reach audiences elsewhere. At Chartmetric, we've published a lot of research in recent years looking at how other so-called emerging markets have rapidly grown and influenced globally with their artists engaging audiences around the world. And markets such as Latin America and Southeast Asia are among the most influential places which artists from elsewhere need to reach today in order to build their careers on a global level. Check out our research on Trigger Cities to learn more. Of course, the days in the days before digital, few artists were ever able to find a label to release their music, even in their home market, never mind in other countries. But today, anyone can make music and make it available globally within 24 hours. Although engaging audiences is a far bigger challenge, of course. Until 20 years ago, Latin America had never produced a truly global music star. But today it is the home of several of the world's top 10 artists. Veras, do you think artists in Arab countries look at the international success that artists from elsewhere are having and want to emulate it? I think so. I mean, I know from my personal experience, 
um, the bar is no longer set at a local level. Um, I think after you know the huge boom of uh, YouTube and streaming services and all social media across the board, I think there's a much more uh, varied kind of, we, we bring in our influences and our targets from much more varied places. And we see a lot of commonalities with other places in the world that are, you know, not Arabic speaking or not in the Arab world, but have similar set of circumstances. And yeah, like you mentioned, Latin America is definitely one of the places that I feel has very similar, similar geographic and kind of a distribution of countries, similar languages, different dialects, things cross over in a, in a way in, in Latin America that I think is similar to the Arab world in a lot of fundamental ways. Yeah, I mean, we've, for us, has been helping us. We've been doing some research, looking at a selection of emerging and established artists from Saudi Arabia and the rest of the Arabian Peninsula. And it was obvious that every artist was engaging audiences in multiple countries across the region, including North Africa, as far away as Morocco. Now, that rarely happens in other regions, um, especially Europe. You know, the one region where you do see this trend of artists hopping between artists, music engaging in neighboring countries, the one region of the world where that does take place is Latin America, um, especially within the Spanish speaking countries in Latin America. For us, how, how much do you think a common language plays a role in the broad reach of Arab artists across the region? Um, I think it plays a big part. I think a, a big part of the, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It does allow you to engage with Arab speakers broadly. Uh, differences in dialects are less pronounced in songs. So, for instance, I would have a much harder time having a conversation in Arabic with somebody in Morocco or in Tunisia or in Algeria, but I have a much easier time listening to music from there and vice versa, obviously. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think I think there's that that's a very big positive, and I've seen it with um, uh, the music that that we've made. It does travel across those uh, borders quite quite fluidly, I would say. On the other hand, um, there are still kind of strong socio-political separation between the countries here. Uh, mm -hmm. Differences in political outlooks, differences in kind of just self, you know, ideas of nation building and nation states, which still separates things a bit more than than they should be or could be, you know, unseparated, yeah. I think. And there's been a lot of inst instability in certain parts of that of the world there For over sure, yeah. decades. Right. Yeah, and, definitely. And in terms of cultural differences or musical differences, do you feel that there's big musical differences across the region? I mean, North Africa in particular, particularly countries like Morocco, have a very sort of well-known internationally recognized sound. It's probably less so in the, um, the Arabian Peninsula, right? Yeah, I, there is definitely, uh, especially if you're talking about traditional music and like um, some of the, the histories of, of traditional music that have been modernized or you know brought forward and, and elaborated on and uh, you know that there's lots of differences there in terms of 
instrumentation, in terms of rhythmic, it's a very, all of almost, I would say almost all of Arab music has a very strong rhythmic component uh, that is, that varies very strongly from region to region. And usually we, they end up being batched into a few countries together. So, you know, North Africa, Morocco and, and Tunisia and Algeria usually get bunched together. Egypt, um, Lebanon, Syria, Palestine get bunched together. The Arabian Peninsula, so the Gulf states get bunched together. So there are groupings within groupings and, and things mm. like that. But I do think like, again, like Latin American music, there's a very strong rhythmic component, which has become, you know, and, and African music, which has become kind of the dominant, I would say the, the dominant defining characteristic of new music in the past 30 years is this very strong dependence on rhythm, syncopation, um, timing and feel, this idea of feel, that, which is very unique in the Arab world across, you know, different things across the Arab world. Do you feel that the that certain parts of the Arab world, the music music evolves more over time, whereas other parts it sort of doesn't evolve? It still sound maybe still sounds the same as it did twenty years ago. Yeah, I think it's evolved almost everywhere. There are still artists um, that are carrying on that tradition of kind of uh, more. It's not really even classical uh, music, but pop music from the 80s and the, and the, the 70s, the 80s and the early 90s. That pop music, that pop phase has a huge proponents and it's still listened to massively. And there are still people that emulate and fall within that style and people who innovate either completely, you know, some people just go completely off the, off the uh, common path and off the known path into territories that are kind of new and exciting. And some people innovate from within the form, which is also really exciting sometimes because I think a lot of the times the music that has big impact can be innovations within the form of something familiar and, and uh, kind of already part of the general cultural media or the general cultural feeling. Cool. Despite the impressive level of engagement that the artists um, had across the region. It was clear that Arab artists are not reaching significant numbers of listeners elsewhere in the world. Um, there were definite audiences for their music, especially in Europe, but the numbers were relatively small and static, suggesting that those audiences who were listening to the artist's music in Europe or elsewhere were part of an Arab diaspora rather than truly international audiences um, listening to different music from different parts of the world. Do, do you think this might be the result of uh, an unfamiliarity that audiences have with music and artists from the Arab world? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really, it's, it's a very uh, telling, you know, the numbers are, are very telling of certain trends and certain things. Definitely, it, it tells of the power of the Arab diaspora around the world because music is reaching there. And in, in many cases, music really thrives in diasporic communities and, and especially new and up and coming artists. I do agree that um, music in general from the Arab world has not yet been able to reach that tipping point of, uh, you know, sustaining itself beyond those community diasporic communities or Arab speaking communities. And I think there are several reasons, obviously, the general political uh, climate worldwide is is something. Also, the 
language difference, writing, because a lot of Arab artists write their work and promote themselves and exist in the Arabic language, in the Arabic alphabet, that already creates a lot of uh, problems. People, you know, artists exist under so many different names, under so many different handles, the same video in many different uh, forms in Arabic and English that, you know, it's uh, transliterated into English from Arabic, translated into English. So all these things kind of dilute a lot of the content, which is something that is, is I think, I mean, I find it very hard how to cross across that kind of problem, you know? Does that make sense I, I, a little bit? Yeah, completely. And I think it, it's something which often crops up when we're looking at artists from Asia, in particular Japan. You know, Japan has a huge music industry. You know, it's the second largest music market in the world and produces loads of artists. Japanese artists have always had difficulties engaging audiences in other countries. And partly, you know, a lot of it is due. It's certainly not the only reason, but certainly a major part of the reason seems to be um, the multiplicity of ways in which their names are written, either using Japanese characters um, or using Roman character sets. It means artists end up with multiple profiles on different services. And it makes it much, certainly much more difficult for audiences elsewhere to really build a sort of relationship with the artist, to know exactly who they're listening to. Exactly. I mean, that's something that has kind of been a, a recurrent theme every time I talk to, to artists, which is, should I make all of my content? Should I make not all my content, but all of my, uh, you know, positioning is everything in English? Do I talk on English on social media or do I talk in both? Do I write everything in both? Which also doesn't help, you know, sometimes having enormous titles in two languages. So it, it gets, that, that definitely dilutes. It's something that hasn't been easy. And the second thing is that I think um, a lot of Arab artists find it's a big obstacle or big mountain to, to traverse the idea of singing in either or, you know, they're either only English or they're only Arabic singers, even though they're from the Arab world. And a lot of like, you know, some of the artists that, that propped up in the, in the research that you guys have done, um, you know, they're mostly all Arabic singers. Some are all English singers. It's rare that you have both. Mm. And that's something that I feel is a big difference from Latin America, where I do feel uh, things cross over a lot more fluidly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, most definitely. I mean, if you look at many of the biggest artists, whether it's Bad Bunny, J Balvin, or a host of other number of number of artists, sometimes they're singing in Spanish, sometimes in English, sometimes even in other languages as well. They sort of adapt um, quite fluidly. I mean, it's interesting looking again at this sort of Latin American market. You know, the the reggaeton sound. Um, which has really emerged in Latin America over the past 15 years, is now almost sort of like globally being absorbed around the world. And it was noticeable listening to some of the contemporary art, um, contemporary Arabic artists, that they have those reggaeton sounds in their music. I mean, really noticeably, the rhythms are there. You know, a lot of the same sound effects which are being used are in the music. I mean, do, do you think that's just sort of, do you think that's deliberate on their part that they're actually embracing this music? Or do you think it's just more a more natural evolution? 
Um, I think it's partly, um, I don't want to say bandwagoning, but, <laughs> you know, l- liking, liking that aesthetic, truly liking that aesthetic and appreciating that aesthetic and trying mm-hmm. to incorporate that formal aesthetic into the music. Because um, it's not a very distant, you know, strain of, of rhythmic and, and sonic thing from the Arab world, but it doesn't, I don't think it's a very natural evolution. I don't think that's bad at all, though. I think that's that's mm-hmm. something that could be very exciting. I think that, you know, the, that brushing up of differences is one of the things that can hopefully define what um, the sound coming out from these Arab countries could be. Uh, because yeah. right now it's very varied. And, and, you know, the other day I spent some time listening to all the artists that, that some of the numbers, you know, were run through some of the um some of the numbers for these artists and they're so different some you know they can be obviously grouped into certain groups but there's sometimes very little in common between a lot of these artists which is part of the exciting thing for me because i think everybody's kind of trying to navigate how to find their own space within a crowded global market but also a very emergent um local market which i think is that's that's really something that I don't think a lot of people uh, realize that the music, the contemporary music market in a lot of the Gulf states and in a lot of uh, the Arab world is a very young market. It's yeah. still it's still kind of the idea of somebody making it big because of you know through social media or through TikTok or through Instagram or whatever is very new. Whereas you had bands like Arctic Monkeys doing it through. MySpace 15 years ago or, or almost 20 years ago now. This is something still very new. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the things which was, I mean, just picking up on that, one of the things which was noticeable was that even the biggest artists in the region who are having sort of like significant success compared to artists in the rest of the world who have similar levels of success, the artists, the Arab artists, their social um, their use of social media and their numbers of followers, et cetera, is far, far lower. You know, social media in particular does not seem to be so widely adopted in the region. D- does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's also interesting to think of this across, you know, you're touching on the idea of celebrity and and kind of, uh, um, yeah, because that's, for me, that's what it is. And if it's also interesting to talk about somebody like Mohammed Salah, Mo Salah, who's a soccer player mm. from Egypt, but he has become kind of assimilated into the global levels of success and, and celebrity because of his skill, obviously, and because of his positioning and playing in Europe and in England and stuff like that. And I feel a lot of, the OG Arab artists, I'd, I'd say a lot of the kind of the Arab artists that have been successful for 30 years or 20 years or something, they have little interest in crossing over into the global community. Both, I think, from a kind of, um, you know, philosophical standpoint and also just out of contentment and, and you know, yeah. this is kind of, this is the area where I live. This is the zone where I thrive. Why? push it and it's very interesting because some of the biggest artists from the 60s and the 50s in the arab world were having sold out concerts in uh, you know the biggest concert halls in europe and in new york and they were really truly um global celebrities at that time 60 years ago mm. 
So it's, 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 I don't know why exactly, but it's rarely existing that way right now, yeah. I'd say for sure. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that in Western countries, you even see um, sort of like real legacy bands who are still touring. They generally embrace social media now, but I, I get this all need to embrace social me media, maybe. But I don't get the sense that uh, established artists in our countries really need to do that at the moment or, or feel the need to do it. Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, the younger artists um, definitely do. And they they definitely try to grow big on social media and things like that. One of the things that's really interesting for me is um, the kind of the politics within the Arab world, the idea that a lot of bands mm. need to make it big in Egypt, for instance, in order to reach right. levels of success. I know in Lebanon, you know, because the Lebanese uh, the Lebanese market is the Lebanese population is very small, so four or five million people. Um, the Lebanese part of that Lebanese population that's interested in contemporary and new music is small. And so it's just almost impossible for an indie artist to sustain themselves from their local country. It just, just the numbers don't work. You know what I mean? At some point you reach the ceiling very quickly if you're not doing something that can, um, break out into massive success and things like that, if you're in a niche. So you look, you, you start looking at, okay. I need to get to Egypt where the population is much larger. And so the percentage of people who would be interested in this thing is much bigger and I can sustain myself there. And looking through some of the numbers that, that you sent over, it's no longer really the same, I guess, yeah. because you can just <laughs> skip that step. You can skip that step altogether now because of some, some, because of the way that streaming works, I think. Yeah, it's, it's certainly some of the established artists, they have strong figures in Egypt. Um, but some of the more contemporary artists or younger artists, yeah, they, they haven't built an audience. They have, don't seem to have focused so much on Egypt and don't really seem to have built an audience there, but it's not hindering their growth elsewhere in the region. Exactly. I mean, even some of the big OG artists from the Gulf, they have not very big followings in Egypt at all. Mm. And some of the contemporary artists, you know, I'm thinking of, of somebody like Balkis, uh, a kind of a, I would say a, a contemporary pop artist with a traditional twist or the other way around, a traditional pop artist with a contemporary twist. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but her numbers in Egypt are bigger than their numbers in the Gulf. Right. Um, so there's no, I, I think that, you know, we, we try to, I don't know if it's romanticizing, but we try to, understand because there's no real there have been no real metrics and no real studies okay. on the flow of music in the Arab world we try to do you know they're like old wives tales which is you have to make a big in Egypt that's the only way you can do it or you have to do this it's the only way that it works but there's nothing really that backs that up significantly right. and it's that's good. good because I, I think it's it pushes people to understand that those those kind of boxes that that are people are touting are not really there yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's common in many parts of the world. People do still do things in fairly traditional ways. Um, they do things basically the same as they did 30 years ago, but obviously the music marketplace has changed completely in 30 years. We've gone from a, an industry dominated by physical product sales 
to one where everybody's subscribing or watching ad-funded streaming services. So the whole business has been turned on its head. And it always raises the question, are the traditional ways still relevant? So, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's a big, you know, there's a big downside to being so connected globally because global politics and geopolitics on that <laughs> massive transnational scale come into play, which means the, the worth of a stream in the Middle East is much lower than the worth of a stream elsewhere. And so the entire financials and the entire economy of streaming is very different. You can't, uh, an, an artist of a certain size in the US and artists of a comparable size size in the Middle East lead very different financial lives. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Just because a single because the worth sure. of a stream or a million streams is much lower yeah. because of corporate, you know, because of international politics and and just kind of the, the transnational way of capital flow of capital, unfortunately. Sure. I mean, looking at the services which people are using, of course, the big global subscription services got off to a relatively slow start in much of the region whereas there's an always been an excellent local service and gami which is very well established in the region um and youtube and youtube as well they dominate music consumption there it's notable it's notable that that the the music people are listening to on youtube in saudi and the emirates is dominated by local artists but that's not the same on the international services such as Spotify, Deezer and Apple, where half of the most popular artists being listened to in the region are actually international artists. So, you know, so the, so the global streaming services, they have a much, you know, people are listening to a much higher proportion of international artists compared to local artists, but the level of listening is lower because those services are still small in the region. And YouTube and Angami are much, much bigger. Um, yeah, I think there hasn't been much adoption, you know, yeah. um, I think, first of all, I think the price point is one problem. Uh, definitely services like Spotify and, and, and other kind of competitor services, they came in with a pretty high price point generally. Um, so there hasn't been much adoption and the adoption that there has been has been from the more elite, I would say, or, or the people, the, the more worldly people who travel a lot and have the capital to kind of go and, mm -hmm. and, you know, be part of that international jet set community, whatever you want. <laughs> I think on a massive, on a massive level that, that doesn't work. That's why YouTube works so well. I think, right. I think there's that, there's that kind of ability to, to pop on there. There's no real subscription. You're, you're able to access things in a massive way. I remember when when we started first releasing music around, you know, 2010, we just put the music up on on YouTube for free, uh, which is not a very common thing for an artist who wants to make a living off of their music. But it was the only way to get people to listen to music. None of the audiences in the Arab world were going to sign up on Bandcamp or. Uh, SoundCloud or, you know, SoundCloud was still very young in the day that those days. So we just put them up on free for free on YouTube and it worked really well, actually. Hmm. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's interesting looking at the the dominance of YouTube in the market and then looking at the overall reach of artists, whether they're reaching elsewhere in the region or elsewhere in the world. I mean, YouTube, YouTube does make content available globally, but because of the way they algorithmically and manually curate content and the way they support multiple languages, like unlike some subscription services, you know, the, the um, Arabic alphabet is supported on YouTube. So it may be, and I'm not I'm jumping to conclusions here, maybe perhaps, but maybe sort of like the strength of YouTube and the, the high level of adoption um, of YouTube in the region is actually almost sort of like confining artists very much to the region and not me and meaning that even though they're on a service which makes their music available globally they're not benefiting from the reach more widely yeah i see what you mean i think again this goes back to the idea of um how do you convey how do you put all of your put all of your work into a catalog that is easily movable across languages and across right you know, borders and things like that. And that's very difficult. I don't, I don't have any idea to be honest, how to do that. <laughs> I still kind of, I still feel, I just feel it out, which is part of, yeah. you know, it doesn't really, there's no science for me behind it that I can lean on. Even though I'm generally somebody who loves uh, looking at data and looking at statistics and seeing how audiences are, are gauging. Because I think one of the other things that happens with social media now is that you have a very, a subjective view on your own material because you see uh, comments are a big thing you you look through comments you do things like that but in actuality that's not a very good representation of um the way that your music is flowing or your work your creative work is flowing and so sure. i like i really like looking at at the data that you sent over um especially for some of the, the weirder things like you know michal we talked a little about yeah. a little bit about michal who's an artist that almost doesn't show up in uh, the Gulf, even though he's a Saudi Arabian artist, but he does these kinds of, he became famous for this lo-fi, being part of this huge lo-fi boom. And yeah. uh, his numbers are completely askew. They're completely his, yeah. his, his own thing comparatively. Yeah. We, 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 we analyze the data for Michelle and all that, and you know, basically we had to remove him from the rest of the other artists because although he's a Saudi artist, you know, he's, he's operating as a Western artist and making a huge range of really great music with a whole range of musicians on different labels in the West. I mean, he's a phenomenally talented musician. I mean, do you, do you think that, you know, perhaps one of the things which musicians and aspiring artists need in the region is, you know, examples of artists who do achieve this sort of like different sort of success, which Michelle is achieving. I do. I definitely think so. I think that that kind of opening up the door is already a big step. You know, this idea that it can exist so much, so much of the things uh, are, are just blocked off because a lot of artists thinks, think it's impossible. It's just, it's never been done. Yeah. And it's true. A lot hasn't been done in the Middle East. And it's also interesting seeing some artists who, have kind of a, a foot in uh, Southeast Asia um, yeah. Yeah. for one reason or another and, and things like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly always been the case that, you know, even if you go back decades and decades, you know, some artists have become big, but not in their home market. 
I mean, you can go right the way back to Jimi Hendrix and even before, you know, some artists leave their country and achieve success elsewhere and then return to their home market. So, so it's certainly not a new trend. And, and yeah, it was noticeable in the data that some of the artists have built, uh, have got listeners and are building audiences in Southeast Asia. And we like, we're always interested in Southeast Asian markets because in a sense, they're the most, you know, trigger city-ish markets. They're the places where, you know, places such as particularly Malaysia and Indonesia, both of which, of course, are predominantly Islamic countries as well. Um, it's um, those, those sort of Southeast Asian markets are very viral. Once an artist starts to build an audience in those countries, because people in those regions use social networks in a very, very social and sharing way, now artists who get engagement there often will grow very quickly. And yeah. you know, but I think I'm right in saying that you know most of the artists who we were looking at who were achieving success in that region would generally their music was more religiously based music. Was that right? I mean, I, yeah, when I was listening, I don't know, if, I wouldn't say it's, I mean, they're part of a label, especially one person that we were looking at. He's part of a label called um, Awakening Music or something like that, right. which has a very strong, yeah, Islamic faith-based curated right. catalog. And so, yes, that's how that travels. The music itself, in terms of lyrics and form and content, is very contemporary. Yeah. I mean, it's very wholesome. It's very... Um, you know, it's the idea that a lot of the ideas that beauty is on the inside, um, sure. striving, striving for uh, things through passion and through love is, is very good. It's that kind of wholesome yeah. uh, kind of content. But yes, I think this idea of it, it moving on, you know, through awakening music, this label is very interesting because yeah. I don't know. I don't think that I never thought that uh, Southeast Asian countries would have such a strong musical connection in that sense. Sure. I mean, it's something which is common amongst pop artists from all the, from lots of different countries, especially Europe and the US. You know, often the first place where new pop artists build audiences is, is often in Southeast Asia, especially if they're a male artist, especially if they've got clean good looks and sing sort of like pop songs you know and there's always been a huge market in southeast asia for boy bands and things and so it's yeah. not it's not uncommon for in a sense artists from the rest of the world to look east in terms of um, a good place to actually build audiences but i thought it was very interesting to see some of the artists we were looking at from the arab region yeah. actually building audiences in southeast asia one of the other things that I found very interesting, maybe it's kind of, you know, changing the, the, the flipping the script on something that we thought for so long is that Arabic music in Istanbul is, you know, there's a crucial uh, country in which is Turkey for the Arab world. And we, I think that's, that's there because of, first of all, we, we take, we watch a lot of Turkish dramas in the, in the Middle East, a lot, a huge number of the biggest, most successful TV shows our Turkish TV shows. Um, we, a lot of mega A-list kind of pop stars take Turkish music and adapt it uh, into Arabic and they've had some of their biggest hits from there. And so I think we felt, or I felt at least for sure that Turkey had a big 
impact in the flow of music from the Middle East across to Europe and across to the rest of the West. But actually, it's not that way so much. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I was surprised. I thought Istanbul would be one of the big cities um, for the artists we were looking at. And I was actually quite disappointed with the numbers. I mean, Istanbul is another city which we regard as a trigger city. It's obviously a, a huge city, massive population. And, and also one of the interesting trends about um, Istanbul is, you know, there is no music, with, no genre which dominates. Literally all genres work in Istanbul. It's almost as if the population just has a thirst for an incredibly eclectic range of music. Um, but I was, I, as I said, I was disappointed that the numbers were so small. And I don't know whether that is because people haven't looked at trying to build audiences in Istanbul or even, and considered it, or whether, you know, there was something else playing a role. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think also part of the part of the ways that artists think of it from an artist's point of view is that how do you even go about marketing your music in a country so far away or so different? Do you change the music or do you change the marketing? Do you, you know, put ads on Instagram or on YouTube or how do you do that? How do you get curated? How do you get put on a playlist? That's those are always very difficult questions for an artist. You know what I mean? Yeah, I and mean, I think if you can figure it out, then you'd be very successful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everybody is always constantly trying to figure it out. <laughs> so, and of course, it's a big challenge today because, you know, so, there are so many more artists releasing music today in each country and on a global level that, you know, in a sense, the quest to reach audiences and to gain their attention is constantly, constantly growing. <laughs> yeah. I also think that um, because of just because of the kind of the oral tradition in the Arab world, lyrical content plays a massive role here. Sure. I think um, the content of the lyrics, the messaging and the lyrics, the, those things still play a massive role in an artist's kind of career and their growth and their life. Sure. That's just something really I mean, I'm sure it exists everywhere. Lyrics are an essential part, and it's one of the ways that people connect most with the song. But I think it's especially true because of the historic traditions, the oral traditions in the Middle East, and that kind of focus on sure. the poetry, the technique, as well as the singing itself. If you had three wishes, three things which you would change or could make happen. What would you like to see happen to accelerate the growth of music in the region um, and the benefiting musicians? One thing I think that's definitely lacking is live music culture, which I think is a very important um, artist building tool, I think. I mean, a lot of artists don't play live very often which is a way to craft your skills. And it's generally because of the lack of uh, infrastructure. There aren't enough um, uh, places. There aren't enough venues. That's one thing I think. I love live music is a very big part of developing a scene, interacting with other musicians and collaborating, which is something that doesn't happen very much in the Arab world across artists, if you know what I mean. Uh, the second thing is I wish that people would realize just how much space there is for other people in the in the scene. 
it is because it's so small and because it's so young, competition is unnecessarily um, cutthroat and very high. And people are competing. They people think that they're competing for the same slot, but I don't think so. And and as the industry grows, as you know, labels start to grow bigger, as managers start to exist, as arrangers and producers and studios start to grow bigger, I think that's going to change eventually. But you know, as we said in the beginning, because so many artists have to be all of those things for their own self, competition is very high, and it's it's not always very healthy competition. And what that's else? Two, I mean, three things. You got one more. <laughs> yeah, I have one more. Um, I definitely think that there would be much. I, I definitely hope that there would be a much stronger um, infiltration of the traditional, not the traditional, but the like the kind of uniqueness of Arab music doesn't get too washed away within um trying to make it globally which is a very tough thing and you know i have trouble with this always which is do i need to keep any of my you know the legacy of the arab world in, the, in my music do i need it at all why this doesn't sound very whatever korean this doesn't sound very traditionally japanese this doesn't this doesn't this doesn't but i feel that that's just something to be aware of even if it's a choice not to do it as it it's very important to be aware of it and be kind of, um, yeah, just, just be, just know what exists and what has existed and do that, do that deep dive into the legacies of music that have already been there. I think, which is, you know, that's just, yeah. maybe that's a very personal one. <laughs> that's a very but personal I, one. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think it's also partly part of the key to the success of music from certain regions which has become global you know if, again if we look at latin america you know the reggaeton sound you know is very very distinct geographically you know where that sound comes from and you know if we look at k-pop as well you know k-pop has become global and you know it's almost becoming the global pop at the moment but you know k-pop does have a really distinct sound the rhythms the way songs are structured is sort of quite unique to the market so it's kept a lot of the characteristics without absorbing without being completely absorbed absorbing western music yeah one more thing actually that i think would be i think is already moving in the right direction is uh and this is, you know, particularly interesting to me as a filmmaker as well as the crossing over between music and film and the placement of big pop tracks. And I know, you know, remember in the early 2000s and late 90s when TV shows were really massive, that song at the end of an episode, you know, as an episode's ending, you usually have a singer songwriters type song in there or a pop song or a dramatic song, depending on the episode. That cut, catapults those songs into stardom very quickly, into fame very quickly, and already I feel that's happening because Arabic, the you know Arab TV series have a very particular thing they've had, which is the opening title credits are usually big pieces by by well-known singers, and so it, in a sense it's already existing. But yeah, indie artists getting like I remember watching the OC all those years ago and. Hmm. Just listening to those tracks and saying, oh, my God, that's such a cool version of that track or that's such a good track. And, you know, that being that being a, a part of it.
Yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting point because you know, we've been looking a lot at the effect that um, uh, streaming services such as Netflix are having on the music marketplace globally. And of course, you know, one of the differences was TV shows in the past. If you got a sync with a TV show 20, 30 years ago, musicians were very happy. It was good money. And also it could be good promotion in your home country. The difference with services such as Netflix is big shows go out on the same day globally. And so it can have a sort of the effect can be huge on a global level. And it's interesting that, you know, recently one of the top trending tracks globally was one of the um, one of the short tracks used in, um, uh, oh God, uh, Squid Games. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So just a, a very, very short piece of what is otherwise incidental music in the movie, actually in the in the show, trended globally. Um, so, so yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, TV can have a phenomenal effect even these days. We, it's certainly not that. If anything, it's more powerful than ever. On, on yeah, that's interesting. I'm interested to know what track it was. I'm going to look it up after, <laughs> after we're done with this call. Firas, thank you so much for chatting to us today. Are there, are there any final things you'd like to plug or suggest people listen to? Um, I, I'm definitely, I definitely want to say that the panel that's being built at XP is uh, really interesting. A lot of, of really good people that have been in the Arab world and in the industry in the Arab world are, are there and they're sharing their insights. And a lot of people who are kind of new and discovering um, the Arab music industry are going to be there as well. So definitely that's something to look out for. Um, also, you know, a big thanks to you and to Chartmetric for taking in a lot of the, uh, a lot of the artists that I suggested, looking at the data, and building um, these kind of the decks that have been informing our discussion today. I think that's with the emergence of uh, data like this, I think people can start orienting um, their artists differently if they're labels or if they're managers or even if they're artists themselves. So yeah, thanks for that. The XP conference takes place in Riyadh from the 13th to the 15th of December and is followed by the Soundstorm Music Festival. Free Charmetric accounts are available at charmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.charmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Did we mention we have a YouTube channel? That's right. Subscribe for Chartmetric tutorials and tips for indie artists. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at, at Chartmetric. That's chart, metric, all one word with no S on the end. That's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.